Hey, I'm Elizabeth Willits and I'm obsessed with helping as many women as possible achieve their boldest dreams after kids and helping you to navigate this messy and magical season of life. I'm a working mum with over 17 years of recruitment experience and I'm the founder of the Investing in Women job board and community. In this show, I'm honoured to be chatting with remarkable women, redefining our working world across all areas of business. They'll share their secrets on how they've achieved extraordinary success after children, set boundaries and balance, the challenges they've faced and how they've overcome them to define their own versions of success. Shy away from the real talk? No way! Money, struggles, growth, loss, boundaries and balance. We cover it all. Think of this as coffee with your mates, mixed with an inspiring TED Talk, sprinkled with the career advice you wish you'd really had at school. So, grab a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, make sure you're cosy, and get ready to get inspired and chase your boldest dreams. Or just survive Mondays. This is the Work It Like a Mum podcast. This episode is brought to you by Henderson Rowe, one of the UK's cutting-edge investment management firms. They worry about your financial future so you don't have to, and act as your trusted partner, giving you financial peace of mind. They provide a bespoke, personalised service. They don't have call centres or sales teams. Their success has always been based on personal relationships, and they intend to keep it that way. At Henderson Rowe, the investment manager who welcomes you to the firm may very well be the same manager who looks after you and your money for years to come. And that's exactly how they like it. If you are interested in hand-tailored investment advice, visit Henderson Rowe's website, hendersonrowe.com, to learn more about how they can support you and your family's financial future. Henderson Rowe is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. The value of an investment may go down as well as up and you may not get back the money you invested. Now, back to the show. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Work It Like a Mum podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be chatting with Maureen Kerwan, who is a portfolio manager at Henderson Row. We're talking all about her experiences of working in financial services and also um, having a career break where she um, lived in a completely different culture as well and, and took some time out of her career and her experiences of then coming back to work and what had changed in the industry whilst she'd been away. So thank you so much, Maureen, for joining me on this week's episode of the Work It Like a Mum podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to be chatting with you because, you know, you've had such an interesting career and life and I can't wait to find out more about you and how your career has progressed. So yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with us today. So before we sort of dive into your career history, do you want to give people a little bit of an overview about what you do? You work for a company called Henderson Row, so a bit about Henderson Row and what they do and what your role involves. Well, thank you very much for having me, Liz. It's an absolute pleasure and delight to be here with you this morning. Um, I am a portfolio manager for Henderson Row, um, who is a private client wealth manager. Um, they, um, I joined them in 2019 after a career break. Um, as you have mentioned, I initially came back as maternity cover 
for someone and my contract just got extended and extended. Um, and I currently am a portfolio manager. That means I run the portfolios day to day. I do a lot of execution trading, cash management, and I take decisions made by the investment committee and I bring them into realization. Yeah. Wow. So interesting. So really fascinated to see how you got to this position. So looking back, you studied maths. Is that right? So statistics and economics at university. Oh, you did maths first and then statistics and economics. I did a lot of maths at university and then I did a second degree in statistics and I took that to a master's. And and I really did uh, spent my early career doing administration and a lot of operations. And I moved into the execution trading about midway, midway through. Yeah. When I was working for the Rothschild family office. Um, and then I did a, uh, and that was a, a fairly hybrid role because when you're working for small companies, you often end up doing lots and lots of bits and pieces, which I find quite interesting. I lo- like having a lot of variety um, in what I do. And, but I then moved into a fully fred- fledged trading role at Axel Rosenberg. And I did that for a couple of years, direct market trading before I started a family and then I had a break for a little while. Yeah. So was financial services something you wanted to do? Was it trading what you wanted to do when you were a little girl? I think I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. Truthfully, <laughs> do you know what I feel like? I think we'll all feel like. <laughs> so I think my biggest weakness is I'm just interested in absolutely everything, which is why I went down a statistics route, because you end up delving in and finding out lots of things about lots of different bits and pieces. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, very data based. Um, but I think the trading side means that you have to keep on top of the news a lot and know what's going on a lot. So it sort of suits me quite well to have to sort of keep a track of what's going on the current affairs you read the business current affairs yeah so yes you because you obviously did your degree and then you went into financial services so was that what people were encouraged to do after your degree or it was a big recruiter at the time so you know in the milk crowns we had all the the big banks coming and doing the uh, graduate recruitment out of university um I actually took a year off after university and I went and I walked from John O'Groats to Land's End with a friend. And then did I, you? I did, yes. <laughs> wow. Then, yeah, did that take a long time? <laughs> took three months. <laughs> so that's a gap, yeah. <laughs> it was. And then I took and then I worked in a ski chalet for the ski season because I'm an absolute uh, mad ski fanatic. And then after that, I, you know, thought, well, I have to settle down and get a proper job. So I did sort of temp roles for a while and then I finally uh, settled in with a small emerging market specialist in the city and I did I was looking for financial services because it it was a big recruiter of the time in the industry wise and I did quite a bit of admin for them but I also did a lot on the uh, data gathering and putting together some presentations for clients. The internet was just in its very early phases. It was, you know, around about uh, 2000. So trying to gather economic data from the 
you know, web was quite a specialist sort of skill at the time. Yeah. So it was sort of... It's taken a lot of time as well, I suppose. You wouldn't have been able to instantly get a result from Google. Well, not everyone was online. Gradually, government departments were starting to put more and more online, but uh, it wasn't it wasn't as readily available as it is now. So you surprised me because we had a little chat about your degree before we hit record, and I sort of said, "Oh, you know, was it quite male dominated your degree?" And you said, "No, it was very 50-50. Because I think you hear this thing, don't you? Girls are encouraged to do STEM at school and university, and therefore you think there might be a shortage of girls doing that subject, but that wasn't your experience at the time no I uh, think maths has always been one of those subjects that it's so it's, it's almost I don't want to call it generic I'm probably insulting a few people but it's got so many applications that it can be a, a an easy choice for people because you know whereas other sort of sciences and I think they now put architecture in they're already becoming fairly specialized but with maths you know it's fairly broad as yeah a, as a subject so I suppose if you like you're saying if you're somebody that doesn't if you enjoy numbers and you don't quite know what you want to do it's quite a good subject to study you know if people listen to this and have got children um that enjoy maths that don't know what they want to do it's a good subject to study and then you can make those just big decisions a bit further down the line so you joined looking your you started your career in financial services you know pre you know credit crunch was it during like the wolf of wall street sort of era was it like that it was it was during the dot-com boom that and everyone was changing their names to i something dot com okay <laughs> so we we forget about these little sort of cultural <laughs> trends and i think the biggest shock for me coming out you know i'd spent all these years in education, all the way to 21 gap years, so now 22. And I had a massive culture shock joining the workplace. Yeah. It was largely dominated by male decision makers and female administrators. So it was very divided. You know, women had very little power in the my initial workplace anyway. And uh, I think the larger companies were starting to change, Mm -hmm. but still there were lots of old cultural norms and values that were still in place, like, uh, you know, fetching dry cleaning and coffees and, you know, you just expected to act as as a a sort of gopher in the the scheme of things. And uh, very few options for career progression, I would say. So did you feel you had female role models at that time? Well, one of the directors was a female, but no, apart from that, there was just this big gap, I would say. And one of my big regrets is not leaving that role earlier and just seeing what else was out there. I was getting advice at the time, oh, you have to stay in your role for two years, just get something on your CV. So it's uh, Solid. I think I would have got so much more experience, better role models had I just gone and seen what else was in in the world at that time. It's very hard, isn't it, when you start because you're young, aren't you? And you you are taking advice from people that maybe don't know any better, really. But you just yeah, you don't know. They might not know, and 
it's a little bit your rabbit in headlights and if this is your first experience of the workplace it's a bit like starting school you think you probably think that is how it is and it's only when you actually go somewhere else you realize things can be done been done a bit differently so then as you moved on and obviously the dot-com bubble would have burst during that time it did it, yes it, in sort of 2000 2001 the markets weren't very good I did eventually leave and then I temped for two years and I literally went around all the <laughs> the big big banks I spent time at UBS and Morgan Stanley and and you sort of feel like you're not making much progress at the time. But looking back, I gained so much breadth of experience from that period because I knew exactly how the different parts of the engine were working because you're spending so much time in different departments. Absolutely. And also, I suppose temping allows you to build up your network and your contacts, which you can't underestimate actually the power of that. That is true. Yeah. So then when did you move? So you were sort of doing more of the admin side, is that right? And then... Correct. And so I took, um, I was offered a position in the Rothschild family office. It was a very small office. I think there were only four people working there. I joined, but it there was offer of career progression and they were, they did made some structural changes while I was there. Um that's how I ended up doing execution trading, funnily enough, because the my my boss came from that background. He was told he was responsible for doing that side of the business. And he had me as backup, but it was never really a thing until he decided to take every Friday off on study leave for his CFA. And I still remember just being you're never fully prepared for something, but I was just dropped dropped in at one Friday afternoon, right? So, you know, this person's not there. Who's doing our trading? Oh, Maureen is. There you go. It's probably like, you know, a junior doctor when they sort of get their first patient. You know, you are now... You've got an emergency C-section. <laughs> yeah, you've never done anything like that before. You're like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, all the sort of training, the exams you've taken, it's all for this moment and... You know, so you have to sort of pick up the phone and make the deal. And I'm sure everyone has that has a memory of that moment in their career when they they suddenly are left to you know test whether their wings are going to work and they can actually fly. So, do you want it to be a trader, or had it sort of just been passed to you? I don't think it had crossed my mind that it was a an actual fun- a role it was a part of a function of a, a whole bunch of other things I was doing there you know as I was putting together portfolio evaluations and pricing some complex instruments and bits and pieces like that it was part of a role because you did come a tra- become a trader a bit later I became a trader yes I then moved on to Ex Rosenberg I, I, after about four years and then that was a fully fledged trading desk with uh, where people just sat there and traded all day so had you enjoyed the trading aspect of your role then at the Rothschild when you were at Rothschild was that the area you know you enjoyed that part of the role the most I, I think I just enjoy the cut and thrust of things and and the the fact that things can change so quickly I suppose deep down I quite enjoy volatility <laughs> I know 
you know, it's probably the same sort of buzz that attracts people to, to industries like journalism, you know, the, the fact that you're always getting bombarded with information and things can change so quickly. Yeah. So at that point, was trading very male dominated? I was the only female trader, definitely on, on the desk. And I think in the firm at Axel Rosenberg, I think that they had different offices worldwide. So, Hello to all our listeners. This is Elizabeth Willits, your host of the Work It Like a Mum podcast and founder of the Investing in Women job board and recruitment site. And I'm here today to tell you all about our transformative career coaching services. Whether you're returning to work, climbing the corporate ladder or seeking a complete career change, our coaching is designed for anyone aspiring to make a significant impact in their professional life. We offer personalised guidance on crafting standout CVs that tell your unique story, effective strategies for nailing your next job interview and expert tips on optimising your LinkedIn profile to attract the right opportunities. And here's the best part. As a valued listener, you'll get an exclusive 10% discount. Just use the code WORKITLIKEAMUM when you book your session. Visit us at investinginwomen.co.uk forward slash career coaching services to start your journey towards career success. Let's work together to achieve your professional dreams with the Investing in Women Career Coaching Services. Wow. Did you feel like an, at an advantage or a disadvantage being the only woman on that training floor or in that function? I'd say neither. I don't, I hope that it didn't make a difference. Yeah. You know, it, I'm fairly meritocratic in my thinking and I, I like to think that you hire the best person for the job rather than whether male or female and they, you know, they should be able to fulfill the role that they're being paid to do yeah because you joined didn't you September 2008 and obviously that was the Lehman Brothers I started the day that Lehman's collapsed did you okay so you'll never forget that day oh no 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 (laughs) (laughs) and somebody I remember was it a politician that said Lehman Brothers wouldn't have collapsed if it had been called Lehman Sisters forgotten who said oh really (laughs) yeah I don't know how much you agreed with that at the time or now do you you think women are more risk adverse and maybe that's a good thing or a bad thing I don't know because I had sort of I think we're speaking in generalities but the evidence on the investment side is that women tend to pick more risk averse portfolios but they generally tend to do better in the long run because they tend to sit and hold on to you know positions and develop slow growth and it pays off over time rather than this sort of all or nothing the instant gratification right right interesting because I saw a stat last week I've forgotten who it was that said it was I'm probably I'm making up the the figures now but it was something like it was an investor that invested in startups and he said you know he gets a better return on female-led startups they're more likely to actually give a return in the long run okay that's interesting yeah, perhaps because they play a long game. I'd... There does seem to be increasing research-backed evidence that you know, on almost everything that 
women do in general um they tend to want to know 100% that they can do a job before they apply and you know or maybe that enterprise is going to be successful before they start asking other people for money or that an investment portfolio is actually going to give them returns and and so on that the actual return is worth the the risk to them there does seem to be research-backed evidence that, that women tend to be perhaps hold back a bit sometimes that's good but certainly but obviously that can be really quite negative as well because your experiences you sort of did get thrown into trading when your boss went and studied on a Friday Um, and did you you must have did you have imposter syndrome at that time did you think what am I doing can I do this I still have imposter syndrome I'm wondering why I've been chosen to come and talk to you Liz I think I'm not that important no one's going to be interested in hearing about my little life (laughs) oh no it's a fascinating I'm really interested I'm sure a lot of people be interested as well because you really are lifting the curtain on on an industry that you know we read a lot about and you know bankers can have quite a negative you know there's obviously we're we're chatting now and on Friday they lifted the cap on bankers bonuses so it's such a hot topic isn't it and and people um, can have quite negative connotations so I suppose if someone's listening to this and sees a job that they like just don't know whether they can do it or not what would be your advice to them? I would say just go for it if nothing else um, it's to me recruitment always seems to be well firstly it's a numbers game so you know you just have to you only have to win once right when if you're looking for a job you know so you can apply a hundred or a thousand times it's pretty free as well these days because you can hit you know apply apply but it's also the information's asymmetric the a company knows far more about uh, the role they're filling, the person they need to fill the role and skill set than is being reflected on the paper. And, and you also know far more about what not only your skill set is, but also what you're willing to commit to um, than is being reflected on, on your two-page CV. So, yes, I'd say just go for it. Good. So then you had, did you have a career break at this point after Axel Rosenberg or was it? So, okay, so I, we were, my husband and I were planning a family. I fell pregnant and my husband was offered a job in Spain. Mm-hmm. And we thought at the time we would be going for a few years. So I handed in my notice to Axel Rosenberg, think it rather than taking maternity leave which turned out to be a big mistake because we ended up coming back from Spain after 10 months and had I taken the entitled maternity leave I would have had a job held open for me and that was a very very difficult period um I learned afterwards that uh, you know recruitment tends to go fairly cyclically through three-year cycles and I probably had hit a sort of downturn um but at the time, just I had a young baby. I, I would move back to Guildford. I knew no one. I, I had some family locally, but I didn't have any friends. I'd been living in London before. And it was fairly isolating. I was sort of trying to, you know, apply for, for jobs, but it can be very demoralizing. And I felt um, a total loss of worth and value at the time. Um, you know, I think that most women probably come back to cover this a bit more in detail from my town at Saudi Arabia, because that was totally different. But there isn't really a role for mothers with young children in the UK. 
they most of them are working full time or at least part time and then they're busy with their family life so there's no it's almost like society doesn't value mothers yes i agree with you i think it is quite hard to be a stay well i do you know because i've got friends that are actually stay at home moms and I work from home and sometimes, you know, some of them say it would be really nice if we all stay at home once and then we could all, you know, I think they sometimes do struggle if if they don't have a lot of, like you say, network and that village around them can be quite isolating. So I was, I didn't know anyone. I didn't have any sort of support network and I was trying to apply for the jobs and it was, it was not a good period. Um, and to top it off, my husband was basically in the Far East every other month for month-long periods. This episode is sponsored by Henderson Row, one of the UK's cutting-edge investment management firms. They aspire to disrupt the UK market by providing institutional, quality investment solutions directly to private clients. By tapping their affiliates' award-winning quantitative research, they can offer their clients institutional quality multi-asset strategies at competitive fees. Henderson Rowe believes the right person is more important than the right experience and looking to speak to people keen to launch their investment management career, helping more clients achieve their financial goals. If you enjoy building long-term relationships, giving expert and trusted advice, and want to make a real difference to someone's financial health and well-being, a career in investment management could be for you. Visit hendersonrow.com to learn more or send your CV and cover note to careers at hendersonrow.com. So, yes, it was pretty, it was pretty isolating. So we eventually, it broke because we moved back to London And I actually was offered a place on a course that was run by Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, trying to get women back into work who'd taken a break. And Because your break hadn't been that long, really, at that point, had it? It was two and a half years at that stage. Did you feel it was a long time? Well, it had been because I'd been applying for jobs without success, so it does feel like a long time. Do you know what? I think, like... It's really, I think that just shows that society is quite harsh to mums. Because it really, in the grand scheme of things, in a 40, 45 year, whatever, how long you work, you know, two year gap isn't, is nothing. But, you know, your experience. I think it was also a shock because I'd taken sort of um, months of sort of leave to do particular, you know, personal projects and things um, periodically, like particularly through through roles. And it had never been an issue. And the fact that, you know, I now had a, a young yeah. baby, I now I basically felt I was now unemployable. I think we all feel like that at the time. And then it's a re- you lose a lot of confidence and you feel like, I think... You might, you're, you know, when I was, I got made redundant, and at that point, I've been out of work for like eighteen months, and it really, in the grand scheme, like I say, it's nothing. But at the time, you feel like you've been out of work for like ten years or something, and I think it's a lot of us losing confidence about what we have to offer, but also a lot of recruiters, you know, need to appreciate. I think what people gain on those career breaks and the skills and the experience and the attitude and perception. There's a lot you can bring 
into back into a place after you've taken a career break I think it should be appreciated a bit more well I did um I did go back to work so some of the advice this this is particularly pertinent but some of the advice that we were given on this little it was only a week-long course not even that the advice we were given was don't go back part-time because only mind it was 10 years ago because you know you end up being paid part-time for full-time work and you don't have the same prospects so you know go go back full-time and then you can negotiate and I did almost within a month of of that I was obviously now on an up, upward trajectory I did go back to work for it was a, a startup and my my daughter was now two and a half and now she found herself full-time in nursery you know 60 hours a week um my husband was still going back and forth to the far east so I was now almost like a single working parent doing everything and it was really hard it was really hard and being a startup it had a lot of uh, young people in their 20s uh, they um my life didn't resonate with them at all they I would find that decisions were being taken after hours when I had to leave at 5 30 on the dock to go and do the school run so that the importance of finding a culture that's a good fit for you is really, really important um, in the workplace. I probably haven't expressed that very well. but No, it's, you have, you have. I think that is true because I think as well, you know, on the flip side, those people maybe in their 20s enjoyed work, you know, needed that sort of simulating fast-paced environment and wouldn't do another more slower-paced or whatever you want to call it, um, organisation, yeah. But, it, you know, but it's also, it's not about some, you know, good or, or and bad. It, it's just about, you know, a meshing of, of lifestyles and cultures. Yeah. Um, and so it's, you know, finding something that matches yours is quite important. So. I suppose that's the challenge. A lot of big organisations have, or, or organisations in general, creating an inclusive environment where everybody can thrive and feel they're getting what they need at that point in their career and that is a challenge for companies so then you went is that a point you went to Saudi Arabia and at that point we went off to Saudi Arabia so um, my husband it was it was a bit of an odd story but uh, we ended up going up to Saudi Arabia because as part of all the jobs I was applying for before I started working I applied for one in Saudi <laughs> Saudi Arabia and um, they weren't interested in me at all but my husband's an engineer so they said oh no well we'll we're interested in in uh, interviewing you and he wasn't really that interested <laughs> but he went along for the the interview and you know they I think by the time the whole sort of offer had been put together we'd been doing this thing where he'd been flying back and forth to the far east and I'd been trying to manage the nursery run and get over to the other side of London and back and we just thought no this is this is crazy this isn't working for us um my daughter was having been used to having me at home all the time she also being two she thought she had the option of saying no I don't want to go to nursery today and it's sort of well and I think I'd managed chicken pox as well through that period yeah so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were like right I'm done. <laughs> so it was like sort of that that's it so we went we left in uh, December 2013 we went off to um Saudi and it, it's like an expat enclave. I think anyone who lives in any part of the Middle East will will tell you this, that 
you know, with other expats most of the time. Um, but, you know, there's a big community. There's a lot of support. There's everyone in the same situation as you, with typically with young families. And it was a very nice experience for the period of our, our lives that we were in with a young family. So you got the village that you didn't get before, that village. We got the village that we didn't get before, yeah. Being an expat community, is there a lot of coming and going? You know, do people just come for a couple of years? Is it quite hard to form relationships knowing people aren't going to be there forever? Not there. In fact, it's completely the opposite. There had been people who'd lived there for 30 or more years and they uh, had their children there who'd gone all the way through college and then they'd come back to work for Saudi Aramco. So it was, you know, there was not a lot of... There were occasional people who came in and then it didn't work out and they, they went home quite quickly. But for a lot of people, it was quite stable. And the expectation was that it was going to be quite stable. In fact, I said to my husband, well, we'll go to, we'd, we'd had all these moves, you know, we'd gone from, you know, London to Madrid, Madrid to Guildford, Guildford to London. I said, OK, we can go to Saudi, but we're not moving for five years. <laughs> And uh, right, not doing, as it turned out, we ended up moving houses twice within Saudi, but that's um, that was sort of out of our control a little bit. But what was it like as a woman in Saudi? Could you drive? And I couldn't drive. We came back in the summer of 2019, uh, 2018, and they just uh, changed the laws. But it still took a good 12 months for a lot of expats to get their Saudi license. So they, so I could drive in the compounds, but not outside. Okay. Did you find it quite restrictive living, being a woman living there or not because you're in a compound? I, okay. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's restrictive in certain ways. There's a, a mass of taxi services that you can use because there's a whole industry set up around women not, not driving. Um, you get... I'd say you get treated much better as a woman in Saudi Arabia. You know, and the, my first clue of this is when we arrived off our six-hour flight, um, if you're a woman with young children and you're in the arrivals hall waiting for passport control, you'll be ushered to the front of the queue. You don't have to stand and wait. Yeah. You know, so there's a whole different culture and set of values that I think it's very hard for us to get a, a grip on. Um, and my husband talks about a conversation he had with a young Saudi when he was he was there early on. He said, oh, I think, you know, women will be allowed to, to drive, you know, very shortly. You know, things are changing quite quickly here. And the, the young Saudi responded that he didn't think his mother should have to drive. They Okay, so that yeah, they saw it as a burden. Interesting. Yes, yeah. they saw it as a burden. So we tend to focus on the fact that women have very few rights in Saudi, but they also have very few responsibilities, and they're, they're you know they are by and large quite quite well taken care of within the culture, and the burden of responsibility is placed on the men. So do you think they value motherhood more than than our country? Yes, undoubtedly. And when you can women work there? Yes. Oh, they can work. They can work now. I don't want to misquote the statistics, but I think they have the highest rate of female graduates in the world. Okay. But yes, a lot of Saudi women are are graduates. They work as doctors. Yeah, I'm just thinking about how they got to work. If you, you know, pre no, 
they have drivers or, or family members that run them around and they also have um, a lot of uh, domestic support that is much you know it's much easier to for them to have in you know hired help around the home yeah so in some ways it's obviously a lot more difficult to be a woman if you can't you know but then in other ways you're not the one that's doing all those nursery runs and then trying to get an hour's commute and that and then cooking and doing all that exhaustion they also tend to live in extended families I think there's a lot more support within the family unit you know there's a lot more women supporting other women yeah so they really do have the village and and value that village so yeah you know we get fed things don't we in our media but actually it's really nice to hear another perspective somebody that's actually lived there and experienced I I have very we were pleased to leave you know when when our sort of time came but I have really fond memories of Saudi it was a great expat community because you're relying on other people to be your family within there was a friend of mine who um, had her third child and um, she she spoke to me and another lady and she said you know I, I, I need to back up to drop my other two children off somewhere when I go into labor you know so, so those sorts of things that you would normally rely on your family for you're having to rely on your your network for yeah so what prompted the move back then a redundancy. So Aramco was laying off large numbers with a very low oil price. We were expecting it. Um, it came in a bit of a hurry because we'd booked to, every summer we'd come back to Europe for the hot months. So we'd had, we had a flight booked and my husband was laid off about seven days before would you to come back so it was sort of like do we leave now or because we had about two months to tidy things up do we leave now or do we go and have our holiday and then come back it's like no we leave now so we had a, a frantic seven days <laughs> and, then, and then then we we went off on our holiday to Ireland which we had booked and we ended up staying in Ireland for uh for six months so it's, we didn't have anywhere to, to go to particularly. And it was like, well, you know, it's like Ireland. It's, you know, has lots of rain. And it, what were you doing with your daughter for school? Was she at school she in Ireland? She went to the local Irish school. Wow, lovely. You went, that brilliant. Okay. And then you received started then at Henderson Row. Did you find difficult finding a new job at that? Because you'd obviously felt you'd struggled earlier finding a job after a career break no it it was a completely opposite experience oh good um, good we, we, <laughs> I thought I thought I remembered last time we also when we went up to Saturday we knew we'd be away for five years we sort of had an expectation that I might not be able to work again so we sort of planned for that and I think I was in, in a different place emotionally it was sort of like well nice if I can but no expectation there and I think I we had our dates lined up to come back to the UK. I um, had an interview booked here. I had to, I had the actual interview within a couple of days of coming back in, in the new year. And how had you found the job? Did you know somebody here? It was on LinkedIn. Okay. And I, I, started, I started 10 days later. I think 10 days of arriving in the UK, I was <laughs> back at work. Biggest shock to my family. Oh, my <laughs> so, God. That's a, that's a really good story. I yeah. have a, a wonderful, supportive husband. I mean, he did everything. I'd sort of come, come home. He would have picked my daughter up from school, have dinner on, laundry on, you know, 
so I'm very, very lucky that I, I have that support. Yeah. And so did he find a new job then later on or? No, well, he had found a job out near um, here already. So, um, and he'd already started when we were still in Ireland, but he was doing a sort of weekly commute. So he was established and uh, which which is what prompted us to, to to move back here. So we just had to make the arrangements. I mean, what's your, how much is, do you think as a, as a working mom, you rely on a supportive partner or a, or a support, I suppose, if you're a single parent? I think you need a support network of some kind, whether you're, you know, you can do favours on a quid pro quo or you can, you know, cut checks for it or um, you have it within your your family. But uh, I think it's absolutely essential. Yeah. You know, you always, even if you're not working, you always need someone you can drop the children with in case of an emergency or something like that. I think it's absolutely essential. But you know, if uh, you're never going to get any leisure time or even just downtime if you don't have someone picking up the, you know, the day-to-day a little bit. Yeah. So, actually, do you work full-time at Henderson Row or you? I do work full-time at Henderson Row. And your daughter, she's a bit older now, is well. She's but just we... started secondary school. Yeah. So, and it does make it I mean some people told me as I looked at listened to this in horror that you know it get they need more support as they get older but it's I don't think it's not the same it's, it's different she can take can she take herself to school now and she gets the school bus so we we drop her off but yes and and then she comes back on the school bus and she's not she doesn't come back until about six fifteen, I think so it's not like having a three-year-old or or a small baby who's totally dependent on you for everything so of course it, it, yes it, it does get easier I mean the the problems are different yeah the challenges are different and I suppose as she gets you know really into her teenage years then and you become a ta- hey, you become a taxi don't you and then you've got a whole host of other worries as well <laughs> yeah I've just spent I've just spent Saturday as a taxi actually so it's already started <laughs> you've got your side hustle going <laughs> driving her around to various you know matches and clubs and friends and yeah. yeah and I think as well like we don't talk about it too much as much but it'd be interesting to know how much as well you outsource within your home to, you know because obviously all that stuff still needs doing to us the cooking you know as presumed and obviously it doesn't just fall to a woman but it's I think it's important to talk about how we actually juggle it all and manage all our responsibilities well <laughs> very well I currently don't outsource very much well mostly because we sort of toy with it every now and again and we never get round to it I think partly because we've realized that the the dirt doesn't get any worse after three weeks <laughs> that's a good tip <laughs> my house is a mess at the moment <laughs> but um we sort of have a love-hate relationship with having other people in doing stuff because they never quite do it the way you would and you have to sort of balance the convenience versus not having everything just we're also we bought um we actually moved into a house just before lockdown started in covid and we sort of finally after years and years bought a house and it's required a lot more work doing on it than we expected so we're always in a sort of state of sort of decorative repair in some room or another so it's quite difficult to have somebody in yeah I mean as a cleaner or whatever yeah exactly uh, there was seem, we all seem to be moving stuff around <laughs> like heat 
heaps of uh, junk or, or stuff in boxes that you don't even know what's in the boxes anymore. So you may as well just chuck them all out and, you know, don't don't worry about it. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, good advice. But it's like lower your, lower, uh, we're doing our house up at the moment. So um, I'm recording this, you know, on a temporary table in the kitchen in my house. I've sort of given up now. But I think that actually sort of works, really. Just lower your expectations. <laughs> ready meals. And, yeah. <laughs> we're sort of getting, we're all getting fed. Some, you know, it might not be the best quality, but yeah. So what advice would you give to, you know, somebody listening to this, maybe returning to work after their first maternity leave? going to become a working parent for the first time what what would be your advice to them um well do get some support in despite my jesting about it you will need it from time to time so so get it organized early I also one of the fears I had coming back after five years is that stuff would have moved on so much that I would feel quite lost and some of the best advice I had was from the mentor who said to me, well, fundamentally, it's still the same. It's money comes in, money goes out. I know that's specific to my industry, but it, I think that's the same. Not very much will have shifted um, in terms of what you need to know to do your job. And after having five years out, there was a, a big, I noticed a big cultural shift. There was a lot more working from home, even before COVID. The technology revolution had already started before COVID, I think, just sort of pushed some latent managers forward into the, the 21st century. Um, so that technology is your friend. So make use of it. You will, you will need it for those days with chicken pox and whatever else you know or when you've just been up all night with a, a restless child yeah yeah brilliant oh well such such good advice thank you so much Maureen for your time today on the working like a mum podcast it's been absolutely fascinating chatting to you learning about all your experiences and your time in Saudi Arabia um I've really enjoyed listening to you so if people want to connect with you find out a little bit more about you and your career or Henderson Row where can they find that information they can find information on henderson row at hendersonrow.com and you can look me up on linkedin feel free to connect brilliant well we'll put all the links in the show notes so obviously if someone's interested in a career in financial services then um maybe they can reach out to you maureen so thank you so much to everybody that has listened this week and thank you so much maureen for your time Thank you very much, Liz. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Work It Like a Mum podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review and subscribe. And don't forget to share the link with a friend. If you're on LinkedIn, please send me a connection request at Elizabeth Willett and let me know your thoughts on this week's episode. You can also follow my recruitment site, Investing in Women, on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, keep on chasing your biggest dreams.